Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. I am Tamara. And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Question for you. Have you ever seen this movie, this little known movie called Terminator? Oh gosh. I don't like those movies. Those are great movies. My favorite one was Terminator 2. Mm. I like the ride at Universal Studios, though. I don't know if I've ever been on that ride. Oh, maybe it's I pretty have. cool. I've yeah. only been to Universal like once in my life. So, Oh, well, maybe I'll take you again. I remember the You're Jurassic welcome. Park ride with the big dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, too. And then there's like the one with all the fire. Uh, I don't remember that one either. Wow. You've... I remember you've the been... mummy one. Is there a mummy? Maybe I was too scared. Like you go forward yeah. and then you go backwards. No, I probably didn't go on that one. I was a very like scared child, so anything that would obviously scare me, I was not about it. You're not so. scared of dinosaurs? No, I maybe because the ride was outside. No. I didn't feel like I was trapped. I do remember going to uh I think it is universal and they have like a haunted house like just year round. Mm-hmm. And I finally worked up the courage to go inside and I walk like through the line and I'm like really nervous about it. And then like a zombie or somebody pops out and I legit like elbowed the people next to me <laughs> and ran back out the entrance. Just knocking people and over. I did. I think I knocked down like one person, but I for sure elbowed somebody in the gut and just my fight or flight. And it was flight. It was, I mean, fight in the process. So maybe I did both. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> But maybe we're talking you, about Terminator, so sorry. Maybe you should have been more afraid of the Terminator ride because it appears that fiction is becoming truth. And for those who don't know, the main villain of the Terminator franchise is Skynet, which is this futuristic artificial intelligence singularity, and it overthrows its human oppressors and launches this world war against humanity and creates these humanoid robots called Terminators to exterminate humanity basically i robot yes there's been a lot there's of different lot franchises of who have who have done this trope to varying levels of success i enjoyed i robot but not terminator okay that tells me everything that, that i need to know no look at us discovering new facts about one another <laughs> marriage is alive and well <laughs> but there's been something that has was recently created that's starting to give people some real skynet vibes and it is called chat gpt which is basically like the most sophisticated chatbot ever created. And it was launched in November by a company called OpenAI. And actually, Google is like trying to fast track their own version of this. And you can basically ask this chatbot any question, and it'll formulate like a, a written response for you. And it's like extremely sophisticated and in depth. And it's been trained by a, a data set estimated at 300 billion words. So ChatGPT has read more than you have. Absolutely. I have like a vocabulary of 100 words, so <laughs> this is quite remarkable. And the responses to this thing, I've tried it out a number of times. Uh, they're like truly impressive. Like uh, in my work, I edit a newsletter for Christian marketers, and I recently had ChatGPT help me uh, write an article about how ChatGPT can help you with marketing. So I basically asked it, can you write a 1,000-word article on how ChatGPT can help your marketing team? And it produced this article, and it was actually like pretty good. And so I actually, what I did is I just published it, and then I gave ChatGPT the author credit in the byline for this newsletter. 
it's stuff like this that's making people afraid. Right. That it's like turning out some pretty good stuff. And uh, side note, like their marketing team should have done better. Chat. What is it? GPT. I can't remember that for the life of me. They should have came up with a better name. Well, they're not marketers. They're developers. So, Well, they should have had a marketing team. Okay. Obviously, well. this is going to be like a really big deal. Put some money behind the marketing. I guess. I mean, they, they were focused on making the, well, the AI super robot. Next time they can call me. Okay. I'm available. All right. You heard it. <laughs> Open AI. Yeah, exactly. We're interested. <laughs> we're interested in helping you with a marketing plan. But as you might imagine, and as you referenced, this has people feeling some kind of way. And so today I thought we'd talk about that. Like, how do we reckon with things like AI and ChatGPT from a theological perspective? So that's what we're in for today, and we'll dive in in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So ChatGPT represents this like huge technological advancement in artificial intelligence. And it's kind of freaking people out. Like for one, people who work in content and marketing, uh, present company included, uh, especially contract writers, uh, they're growing a little bit concerned that ChatGPT can you know, put them out of a job uh, in the same way that like factory automations have resulted in you know, innumerable job losses for blue collar workers. Um, that you know that's people are like getting concerned like oh i write pretty generic marketing material like maybe chat gpt is going to take my job for me i have a personal story of how this was a real concern for me so i heard about it you had shared about it there's like this really smart it guy at my office who is up on all the new technology and he shared it and of course i didn't think anything of it right until my boss comes to me and says, hey, Tamara, maybe we should uh, consult chat GPT for maybe a few different strategies related specifically to my job around fundraising, um, development and marketing. And <laughs> that email came across uh, my inbox. It was like a Saturday night. And I immediately, I think You're I like, told I'm you, like, I'm, I'm fired. fired. By Monday. Uh, they're, they're replacing me with chat GPT. Like, what an insult. I promise I, like, I do good work. Um, it turns out it was just kind of like, you know, a curiosity thing. Are there some things that we could implement that if we were to ask this thing a couple of questions, um, it could think outside the box in ways our team just never has before and we can implemented into our strategies i mean it's a lot more well read than you are it it is because you think about the amount of time it takes to research 
just different marketing tactics, fundraising or whatever realm you're in, you can certainly spend hours and hours on webinars and um, researching all of this kind of stuff. But you ask chat GPT and it gives you... Here are 10 options for your strategy. <laughs> Is that what it sounds like? No, it doesn't speak. It just like, gives you a response. Talk to you? Well, how did yours no. talk to you? <laughs> Mom didn't talk to me. <laughs> I, was like, I just read it. How, did I just need to not... Did I just not turn the sound on? <laughs> anyway, so it can it can do like all of the research on the internet pretty instantly because it's it's pulling from everything that's out on the internet. So in terms of time, like it's it's a really helpful resource to go to to kind of get you off the ground and moving forward with something. And it's free. You don't have to pay and it's it. It's free. It well, doesn't need health benefits. Oh, well, it's kind of free. It's free for me. I'm using it for free. Right, but you made it into the like what is it, the beta test group. Now now you have to pay for it. Oh, they're charging now. They're okay. charging now because I was trying to get Because they got smart. Yeah, I was they trying to get a, a few other team. people <laughs> see. I was trying to get a few other people of our team access to it and it wasn't free anymore. So um. But all that to be said, I saw that email from my boss and I was absolutely threatened. And I am pretty confident in my skills and abilities, but to see... But you're not better than a supercomputer. No, no. And so this this whole conversation really becomes a, um, a crisis of identity in a lot of ways of, am I replaceable? I thought these were irreplaceable skills or um, highly refined skills that made me valuable in some way. So I think that's along the lines of what a lot of people are feeling is will chat GPT start to replace people? Right. I think even more than like the, you know, the job security question is this more fundamental question of what does it really mean to be human? And is AI and chat GPT going to start infringing upon that? And I think for one thing, people watch too many movies like Terminator and iRobot and think that AI is going to take over the world. And that's not going to happen anytime soon, at least not within our lifetimes. That's not going to be a worry. Anybody who has an Amazon Echo will tell you that, you know, there's still some work to be done before they can overthrow us. Uh, but it is actually like causing us to call into question what it means to be human and to be created in the image of God. Like, what does it mean to be a human person created in the image of God? And I think for many of us, we assume that it means that we have an intellect, we have a will, um, we're able to do things, we're able to make an intellectual or a social contribution to the world. But ChatGPT, it seems to mimic all of those things, and you don't have to edit its grammar nearly as much. And <laughs> so, like, you're just like, well, That's this is helpful. like me, but better. And of course, like, it, it's still not fully developed. And uh, ChatGPT, it still makes significant errors and has gaps in knowledge. Like, for example, I asked it to write a short biography on Dale Chamberlain. And I was like, oh, is it going to pull from the internet and, like, you know, whatever pieces of information it can find on me, piece it together and write this biography? It didn't do that. It just started spinning a yarn. I think it made me like a like a civil rights lawyer or something like that. Oh, so it I was just, like, oh, this is pretty cool. It was like creative writing at that point? Yeah, it just was oh. writing a story. Um, but it wasn't me. So it, it there's Well, you're not the only Dale Chamberlain in, out there. But I'm the the best one. I'm of the most course. prominent Absolutely. of them. Absolutely. I'm probably the most Googleable, hopefully. Googleable. I want to get I don't know. There's the a couple SEO lawyers. My own name. There's a couple lawyers out there that might be a little bit more Googleable. <laughs> Civil rights lawyers, that's <laughs> yeah. right. I was like, okay, cool. Like I like this I like this backstory for me. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> I like this backstory. 
Um, yeah, but so it is advanced, but you know, it, it is still limited in some ways. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people might not know this. Like AI is actually much more prevalent in the world than most of us realize. Like I can bet you dollars to donuts that everyone listening to this podcast right now utilizes artificial intelligence like every single day. I'll take the donuts. <laughs> All right, you got it. I'll take the dollars. <laughs> so I'd love to dispel some of the AI fears that we have today as well as dive into what it actually means to be human and to be created in the image of God. Uh, because the presence of like advancing artificial technology or artificial intelligence technology, it has really, I, I feel, unearthed some insufficient ideas for how we conceive of our identity as human beings. And so I thought a good place to start would to be just to give you a layman's overview of the different types of AI. And so if you are a technology expert, uh, my explanations will probably be woefully uh, insufficient for you. And you'll be sitting there going, well, actually, um, but I'm just going to give you my best understanding of the AI landscape as it currently exists. Yes. Explain it for the rest of us who are not in this realm of technology Explain it in a very basic way. That's okay. appreciated. Here we go. All right. If there's, if there's one thing that's true about me, I'm basic. So here we go. <laughs> that's not true at all. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you hate pumpkin spice lattes. I don't hate them. I hate that they're like just so popular. Like it, it feels like you're culturally obligated to like go nuts for pumpkin spice. That's what I don't like. That's also why you don't like Christmas, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can't force me to be joyful. I'll be joyful on my own time. Okay, Anyways. Let's start with the first category. Reactive AI. So this is the type of AI that has no memory and doesn't have the ability to like, quote unquote, learn. That sounds like me. Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but basically it can be programmed to respond to a limited set or a combination of inputs in a specific way. And it can be pretty complex. Like one key example was IBM's uh, Deep Blue, which was this AI chess player that actually beat a world champion chess master in 1997. And so that machine was programmed, and it was programmed in such a sophisticated manner that it could respond to every move of the chess master in the game in such an optimal way that it eventually won. And so that's pretty significant. Uh, but once it beat the chess master, it didn't like take the learnings from that game to like become an even better like chess player. Like if they played a hundred times, like the the strategy of Deep Blue would be the same. Like the chess master might start to alter his strategy to try to predict what the machine was doing, but the machine wouldn't do that. It was literally only thinking about the move that was right in front of it. And so, like real world examples of reactive AI would be like uh, your email spam filter, which is artificially intelligent but it's not super advanced it's like this email coming in it has a certain set of characteristics boom in the spam and it doesn't really learn from previous experience on that uh, i think another example would be like the earlier versions of netflix recommendations like you watch this one title and so this set of recommendations plays at the end of it or you know appears at the end of it regardless of whether you've seen them or not or you know frankly how closely related they are it's just kind of like this was the category that it gave i think as uh, technology has improved on these streaming platforms. Uh, it ha that technology has begun to advance past reactive AI into uh, something a, a little bit smarter. Uh, but certainly, the earlier versions were just that reactive version. Yeah, and this is 
kind of the best example we have of when you refer to somebody as like being robotic or being very like structured in a way that you can't you can't begin to operate outside of what your programming is that is very much the way that reactive ai works uh where it has categories and it has ways of operating that is intelligent but it cannot operate outside of the structures that it was built within right And then there is limited memory AI. And so in contrast to reactive AI, limited memory AI, it does have the ability to learn. It reacts to certain patterns and inputs. And over time, it can actually learn from those inputs and refine the way that it reacts in the future. And so this is actually, you know, probably the most prevalent form of AI that we have right now when we think about like smart devices and things like that. So like real world, real world examples would be uh, chatbots on websites or, you know, on customer service portals. You think you're talking to a real person. You're talking to a robot who has a, a limited set of inputs but is is learning from the conversation so when i'm asking them hello how are you today i hope you're having a great day and they're giving me an answer i'm being lied to you're being lied to the robot's not having a great day maybe (laughs) maybe yeah he's working long hours you're (laughs) you're messaging him at three o'clock in the morning (laughs) because your internet doesn't work um uh uh amazon uh devices um and this one is like it is what we think of with AI because it feels human, even though that isn't really what defines artificial intelligence. But, you know, the fact that you can ask it something and it'll search the Internet and give you an answer like that is uh, limited memory AI because it learns over time, too. I love how you didn't actually call it by its name because, because there's one in the room in and this it's going to. Yeah. And she uh, and she, of course, uh, she will respond to you right now and we'll pick her up on this recording. So wise decision not to use her name. Right. <laughs> And also all of your, you know, your smart devices, whether that's your lights in your house, your smart appliances, your fitness trackers, your smart home security system, that's all limited memory AI. Your baby cameras. Your baby cameras. Your uh, uh, social media algorithms, they learn over time the things that you click on, you watch, you linger on, your your cursor kind of hovers over them, and then it gives you more of those things. It learns over time. And that's an interesting one, too, because I don't think people fully understand the way that the... Um limited memory AI works within ads. Uh, This is where we find it the most. So for example, (laughs) unfortunately, if you're offended by certain ads that are populating in your YouTube channel or videos that are being suggested, it's all learning based on your habits. It's not necessarily like a website that is just has these um, set ads that everyone gets to see it's so customized to your search history and to to the way that you operate so from social media to even like i said just whatever ads are populating on a website you're on all of it is very much learned based on your particular behavior so it's customized which is why i'm probably getting more of the like baby products and children related things and your ads are books Right. I'm sure that's what you're getting. So if you don't like the ads that you see on a website, hey, don't don't get mad at us. Don't get mad at the AI. <laughs> that, that's a time for self-reflection. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. 
And ChatGPT, it would fall under this limited memory AI system. It's certainly an advancement on limited memory AI, um, but it hasn't necessarily crossed the threshold into a different uh, manner of AI. Some have uh, created kind of a new category for it, um, where it's called generative AI, because it is creating something that uh, it's, it's producing new content rather than just aggregating previously existing content is kind of synthesizing it so there is something new in that regard but it still is largely under this limited memory ai and so that's where kind of like the current state of ai ends um this next one there's some smart people in labs working on it but there are no real practical uses of it yet and it's called theory of mind ai and so it, it kind of goes beyond the limited memory um, it, this isn't out in the wild yet, but they're kind of like toying around with it in some lab at a university. Uh, and it basically extends the idea of reacting to um, a set of inputs to uh, then being able to reason through the needs, emotions, and thought processes of the person giving the inputs. So it's basically like where empathy training meets machine learning, where it would be able to understand the person that is giving inputs and to you know, predict what it might need in a more human kind of a way. And so probably the the best fictional world example would be Iron Man and the Jarvis system that he has, where it's like, it's pretty human. It has a certain level of empathy. Um, we're not there yet. As anyone who has yelled at their Amazon devices for not listening to them can attest, we're not super duper close to that being, you know, industry standard and so that one's still a, a ways off. And then there's the more advanced things that are really just in the realm of dreams right now. So like self-aware, AI would be you know exactly what it sounds like, that this machine understands that it's a machine and that it is is talking to you. Like it has a sense of identity to itself. That I don't even know how they would measure that like when they've achieved it, um, but that's certainly in the realm of theory. Then there's artificial general intelligence and this is basically once the machine can um, mimic human learning across domains, it can learn in the same way that a human can, probably just a lot faster because it can read through 300 billion words in you know a couple of minutes and arrive at a conclusion. And then finally, the pinnacle of it would be artificial superintelligence. And this is basically when the, the general intelligence reaches a, a point of singularity and becomes Ultron and takes over the world. This is what everyone's afraid of. Yes, but from what I've read, we are like centuries away of constant research from getting to a point where we need to start worrying about Ultron. I mean, that's good to know. I can just continue to be worried about it replacing my job, but it's not taking over the world yet. Not yet. Even still, uh, with AI starting to like feel more human, that chat GPT, that's literally what, what it represents. It's starting to feel more human. It raises more questions about what it means to be human. And thankfully, we have you know centuries of theological reflection on the Imago Dei, that's Latin for image of God, and it'll help us answer um, some of those questions. And I want to dive into that, but we'll do that in just a moment. So, what does it mean to be human? People have been asking this question for a long time. We know as Christians... Uh, that we are made in the image of God. But what does that actually entail? What does that mean? There are three views that I want to look at, and they aren't necessarily pitted against one another, uh, but when you take them together, they kind of give us more of a clear picture. Before we go through those three views, I think it's important to say 
uh, or just reiterate that this um, this list of three things have uh, been compiled over centuries, and a lot of theologians have been wrestling with this, and some of them have just spent their entire life trying to understand what does it mean to be human. And when we look to scripture, it obviously uh, in the very beginning says like he created man in his image. And what exactly does it mean to be created in the image of God? I know. I gave no and further elaboration. Yeah. Like, created in God's image. <laughs> like fantastic. Next chapter. Does, that mean he, does that mean I look like God uh, in like a very physical sense? But obviously that breaks down pretty quickly. So we're going to go through the three things and um, the three categories that are most often understood um, as we contemplate what it actually means to be human. Right. So the first one is the substantive view of Imago Dei. And this view sets forth that being made in the image of God, it... Uh, it really means that we are like God in ways that other created beings aren't. So we have self-awareness, we have intellect, we have creativity, we think, we reason, uh, we think about life and death and eternity and meaning and purpose, we think in abstract concepts, we have imagination, uh, we have eternal souls that are oriented to something beyond this physical world. And so, of course, this view is... It, it makes sense in a lot of ways, um, but it has trouble accounting for uh, people who are differently abled uh, when it comes to intellect or social development. It also doesn't have much to say about those who suffer from degenerative diseases like uh, dementia or who have lost uh, cognitive function. And it also doesn't explain like how that makes us different from say like the angelic beings who seem to have all of these things too like they have you know eternal souls they have creativity they have a will they have an intellect you know they they're social um they they can think in abstract concepts they seem to have all of these same attributes that we have but we're created in the image of god and we have alone have that distinction and they don't so Maybe there's something missing on in that regard. Yeah, and one big argument um, or shortcoming, I think, too, is some of the most sophisticated animals out there, right? Like, um, if you're not a Christian, many believe that we evolved from apes because they're, they have such a level of sophistication that's very similar to mankind that it, it seems to make logical sense that we would just be an evolution of them. Uh, so that's where this category of what does it truly mean to be created in the image of God? Uh, it has some questions to be to be answered still uh, and some really important questions that it doesn't seem like it, it fully answers what the scripture is alluding to in the beginning um, of Genesis. Right. And then also too, like if artificial intelligence reaches a point of general intelligence or even self-awareness then what is that we've been usurped as being created in the image of god in that regard if that's all it means to be created in the image of god then we created something that's created in the image of god that now usurps us as having that distinction and there's just a lot of questions there if this is all it means to be created in the image of god yeah and even that we are capable of creating something that is equal to us that god himself created did that like make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's like it's like Inception. It's like a picture within a picture, <laughs> right? 
So the second one is the relational view of Imago Dei. Uh, This view sets forth that much like the triune nature of God is fundamentally relational, being created in his image means that we are fundamentally relational beings. Uh, God has forever existed in one essence, but as three people. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They have always had a perfect relationship for eternity past and eternity present um, with one another. And they have perfectly expressed love and are perfectly loved by all members of the Trinity of the Godhead. Uh, And this doctrine is referred to as the eternal blessedness of God, which (laughs) means that God didn't create us because he was lonely or he was bored or he just needed some friends around, but simply because he wanted us to enjoy and glorify in him forever. And so this understanding of that deep relationship within the Godhead that has forever existed, that then has been given to us as created beings by God. So we can now interact and have that same deep relational aspects, not only um, horizontally with God, but also vertically with one another. You mean vertically with God and horizontally with one another. Thank you very much for telling me which way is which. Yeah. And obviously because of sin, these relationships are broken. Our relationship with God is broken. And as a result, our relationship with ourselves and relationship with others are broken. Um, but through our re- renewed relationship with God through Jesus, um, we can have a renewed sense of relationships both vertically and horizontally because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as we progress in that, we kind of step more fully into what God intended humanity to experience as uh, being his image, um, being his image bearers. Um but what this view seems to not be able to fully explain is why human beings who have not come to faith in Jesus uh, have any intrinsic value apart from the possibility that we might convert them. Like, we certainly want people to come to faith in, in Jesus so that they can step into the fullness of humanity and experience eternal life. But if they don't, most of us would agree, hopefully all of us would agree, that they still have fundamental human rights that are rooted in the fact that they have a pre-existing identity of having been created in God's image. That's kind of like the, you know, that's the the whole game when it comes to um, just civil rights, equal rights, just a fundamental human rights movement uh, from the Christian perspective is that we are created in the image of God. I don't know how people who don't believe in God anchor you know, an argument for fundamental human rights, but that's how I anchor it, is that every person who exists is God's image. And so if we denigrate God's image, then we are, by extension, denigrating God. And so um, if the relationship isn't there, is there something of the identity of being created in God's image that is... Um, lessened or damaged um i think that that's where this view has a weakness or kind of falls short right because to understand that there is just uh, like you are born with a sense of dignity a sense of value um because you are human that is rooted back in genesis where god created mankind in his image and that is prior to 
the fall of humanity that is prior to Christ coming back to redeem humanity. Um, that is before all of that takes place. So we see it from the very, very beginning that God created all of humanity with this sense of value, with this sense of dignity. And that's because they are created in his image. So to understand the image of God or people who bear the image of God as only those who are saved is not to understand scripture because the whole creation of humanity was, was created with a great sense of dignity and value. And that is intrinsic to who we are because that's the way that God chose to create us. Right. And I don't think that people who advocate for a strong emphasis of this particular view of being created in God's image would necessarily say that people who don't believe in Jesus aren't human, but it does kind of create a sliding scale of humanity in terms of the intrinsic value there. Right. You have more value now because you believe in Jesus and have come to a saving faith in Christ versus a lesser value uh, than people who don't have faith in Jesus. And that is hard to reconcile because we definitely don't see any of that kind of language in the Old Testament or the New Testament of a, a hierarchy of value dependent upon salvation. Right. And I don't think that's like an expressed explicit view no, but uh, within a, this view, but it, it it's kind of But when you lens stop to, to think it. about it, yeah. yeah, you think, well, then hold on. If this is the way that we are categorizing the image of God, then what about those who haven't um, received salvation? Right. Okay, so there's the substantive view, which like if we have attributes that God has, like intellect and will there's the relational view that because god is inherently triune and relational that being in his image means that you're fundamentally relational and then there's the functional view of imago day and this view pulls directly from the language of genesis so in you know kudos on that regards pulling straight from the text that the 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 phrase image of god comes from uh and in that account god creates humanity in his own image and then he gives them what is you know often referred to as the creation mandate which is to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the living creatures and uh dominion over the earth basically and so in this view being made in the image of god means that we are god's you know representatives as the rulers of this world so to be human is to be fruitful and multiply and that's not that includes procreation and populating the earth, but it also means like harnessing the resources of the earth to advance society. So in this way, the creation of something like ChatGPT is actually humanity functioning as God's image bearer because it's creative. It's developing technology. It's having dominion over creation to harness resources and technology to then work for us and, and to be fruitful and multiply in our society. So in, in that sense, uh, this functional view actually um, affords us an explanation of ChatGPT and kind of puts it in its rightful place and, you know, other advanced forms of AI. Where this view falls short is that it seems to set up a world in which we we are made in God's image by function of what we do rather than by function of who we are. And so that can also tend to, to create a hierarchy in which those who are most fruitful and multiply the most are the most human. And again, this much like the first one, this doesn't really fully account for those who are differently abled or maybe don't have the same potentiality uh, to do all of those things. 
Yeah, because this view holds to the functionality of you as a person. And it's very clear that everyone functions different. Like everyone has different skills and everyone has different things to bring. But you can easily categorize those things as, well, the skill that you have is not as beneficial to society, is not as beneficial to the world as the skill that I have. So therefore you are created less in the image of God and I am created more in the image of God. And that obviously sends you down a really massive spiral of analyzing your abilities and capabilities into the 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 benefits and the flourishment of society and of the world itself and then you question well why would god give me less abilities to be created in his image and give somebody else more abilities to be created in his image right and again just like with the other views like this isn't necessarily like the stated belief but it, it can be kind of inferred and we can lean that way where we will bias in a certain way because of how we conceive of what it means to be human. If all it means to be human is to have dominion, then those who don't have dominion or can't help us get dominion, then they are more of a drag on humanity than a benefit to humanity. Yeah, and you can think about the dominion mandate in both those ways that you shared before is not only um, – being fruitful and multiplying in the way of generations, you're bringing generations into the world, um, but also being fruitful and multiplying and harnessing um, the like natural resources we have to make this world better. Like you can be hindered in both of those areas. Obviously there's plenty of people who can't bear children. So does that make them created less in the image of God? And there's plenty of people who just don't have the ability or uh, as we rate them, their intellect is not as strong or can't contribute to society in the same ways. So again, are we saying they are less than, um, and it's important. Like you keep saying this, someone who holds to this wouldn't say, yes, I believe you are less, you are created less than the image of God and I'm created more. But as we start to really understand what is the practical elements of these views, on being created in the image of God, a lot of them have aspects that fall short. Right, yeah. At the same time, I think if you take all of these three views together, it does give you kind of a multifaceted idea of what it means to be created in God's image or the the way that that practically kind of shows itself at the very least. Like, yeah, in many ways, like, we have attributes that are similar to God's and that we have a will, we have an intellect, we're creative, we uh, have imagination, uh, we're also relational and that that is a fundamental part of what it means to be human is to be in relationship uh, with other people, with ourselves, with um, the divine, even though people don't you know, necessarily all believe in you know, a personal God or God at all, there is something that always gets replaced with something else. So there's this, this fundamental need, you know, whether they call it the universe or like astrology or whatever it might be that there's, there's some fundamental need to be relationally connected beyond what we can see physically as well. And that's a fundamental aspect of what it means to be human. And then also like humanity is, you know, productive. It, it is procreative it is innovative like that is another fundamental part of what it means to be human that you know i'm speaking of us as a group that 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 that's the shape that we take as humanity and all of those attributes are reflected in god himself 
But there is one more framework that I'd like to look at, which was set forth by the theologian Ryan Peterson. And I actually had a class with him when I was going to seminary. Did you have a class with Dr. Peterson? I didn't. Oh, he's good. I know. I highly you recommend told me that. Yeah. And then I became jealous that I never got him. But. Right. And he actually did his whole doctoral uh, thesis on this. So he like he wrote a big fat book on on this. Um, Were you assigned the book that he wrote? No, it wasn't published when oh, I had okay. him. He had ju- he, he was like um I think it was being published like the next year. Um but he um sets forth this idea of the Imago Dei as identity. And so he says the best way to understand what it means to be human uh, is to actually understand being made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, not as functioning in a certain way, but actually just being the core identity that God revealed to humanity. And so he actually says it's better to move away from the language of saying that uh, humanity bears the image of God uh, as if like humanity was created and then there was like a, a label like stamped on our head like I approve this message you you bear my image he says that it's better to say that humanity is God's image and then all of the other vocations of ruling subduing relating multiplying all of those things flow from identity rather than functioning to create a composite of what that identity means. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it start like your identity was created because God created it, not the identity is formed through the things that you're doing to harness that identity of God. Right, the functions of what we do don't create our identity as being made in the image of God. Um that that's just who we are, that that is, that is awarded to us. Just to put it in more kind of just a simpler way, that God loves us for who we are before he loves us for what we do, or instead of loving us for what we do, um, what he created us to be, which is his image. And so if this is the framework that, that we're choosing to understand ourselves by, then we don't actually have to look at any function of how we operate in the world to still see the inherent value of every single human being because there's nothing that they could do or not do that would make them either more or less human in that regard because it is just, and maybe that's why God doesn't explain what it is. He says he created them in the image of God. Boom, that's just what you are is God's image. It's it's so remarkable to think about it this way because is that not the gospel message in and of itself? Right. Like you were saved because Christ chose to save you. Not because you deserved it, not because you did anything, not because you worked hard for it. And it 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 just goes full circle back to the beginning of the way that God intended humanity to be is I he created you in the image of God just because he created you in the image of God. And oftentimes we want to define what that means because of the way that our brains operate and we just, we need answers, right? So we want to put things back into systems and categories and say, well, the way in which we are the image of God is through our attributes, through the way we think, through our creativity, through being able to bear children, through through being able to, um, 
be beneficial to the world around us. Like those are all true things. But is that universal for every single person who's ever walked the planet? It's not. Because we can find shortcomings in each created person when we want to put those types of categories on them. But God is saying, I created you in my image because I created you in my image. And the way you know that is because I created you in my image. And that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around because we want to say, you are created in the image of God and here's all the ways we know that to be true. But God didn't explain that to us and he didn't give us those categories. We've come up with those categories out of our desire to understand more rather than accept a bit of the mystical aspect of it, right? Right. It's like God said, I created you and I love you. And we're like, but why? Like, but why? Just, what did just I because? do? And like, no, just because I do. Yeah. And I just wanted to. Yeah. And we're like, but what's the catch? Mm-hmm. No catch. Yep. Like, mm, I yeah. don't know. I think we're going to write a 3,000 page theology book on what it means and why you mm-hmm. love me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, you know, it's just hard to wrap our mind around that, that God didn't need us and yet he still wanted to create us. And that he, regardless of any function that we perform, already endowed us with intrinsic value that can't be taken away. Exactly. And as I look at another person who is enduring some kind of um, like disvaluing or uh, a taking of their dignity, I can't tell you, I may know nothing about that person. Right? You just hear a news story about something that's happening to a group of people or a single person and your soul is just outraged because you just know like this is not right. This person is a person and they shouldn't be treated this way. I know absolutely nothing about their abilities. I know nothing about their function in the world. I know nothing about whether they are a quote unquote good person for society or yeah, like not. Is it a jerk or is but, it a nice person? Yeah, yeah, I may know none of that, but my soul is outraged right. by the way that person's being treated. And you can't quite explain why other than they're human and they have value. Well, why? I don't know. I just know that they matter. And you can't make a list of reasons that justify the treatment that you're giving that person. And in so many ways, we want to explain what it means to be created in the image of God through a list of reasons that qualify you to be in the image of God. But we're not the ones who give that stamp. Right. God did. And he gave it to all of humanity from the very beginning of time. Even the ones we don't like. Even the jerks. <laughs> even the ones who, like, we want to categorize as bad people to society. They are still image bearers. Right. And we know that deep in our souls. But I think we can become callous and start to become numb and justify why they deserve the removal of value. Um, but intrinsically we know it's wrong to treat them as anything less than valuable. Right. And just to bring the conversation full circle back to people's anxiety about artificial intelligence and 
you know, as represented by something like ChatGPT. If that is true, that there's no function or malfunction of humanity that would make us more or less human, that would remove us from the place where God has set us as his image, then it's kind of silly to think that, like, artificial, like a supercomputer would somehow threaten our identity of being God's image. It's a computer. Like, it might be a really smart computer, and it might be able to do a lot of things better than a human, um, like write things or know things or gather information or, you know, transport information. Like, like there's so many things that are more efficient about a computer, but God doesn't love us because we're efficient. Like, he, he doesn't... Um, account us as being human because of our ability. It's just an identity that he gave to us. And when God chose to incarnate in the person of Jesus, he didn't incarnate into an artificial intelligence. Like he incarnated to what he created his image to be. And I think it's in, is in Colossians where it says that he is the uh, visible image of the invisible God that in many ways, because sin entered the world, while we're still God's image, there was something, you know, tainted about what that meant. And uh, the solution to that was that God came himself and inhabited humanity so that we could see the fullness of what it meant to not necessarily be human, but to experience the fullness of our humanity. That regardless of, you know, what our experience is, is currently that we are still God's image, but he says like, let me, let me show you the full potentiality of what that, that was meant to be. And he showed that us that in Jesus and through our relationship with him, we're being renewed into the image of Christ, which is this, this full uh, potentiality of what it means to be human, to be, you know, really God's crown jewel of creation of all the things he created. Like God's created some really cool stuff. But of all the stuff that he he's created, like we're his favorite, and so there's nothing that we could have done to earn that or deserve that. But in Jesus, what what we're invited to begin experiencing is that in our subjective reality, that we're starting to apprehend what has already been an objective reality in God's mind all along that that we are made in God's image. And it's a difficult concept to grasp because we look around and we see the flaws, we see the depravity, we see the sin, we see the evil that resides within people. And we want to be able to understand and reconcile the fact that someone can be doing certain things or saying certain things or acting in certain ways and and even just in their core, their motivations behind why they did something. And it's hard to see the image of God in that, right? Because you think of God and you think of just this, um, you think of perfection, you think of holiness, you think of righteousness, and you look at somebody and you say, I don't see any of that in you. So certainly you're not bearing the image of God right now. Um, but the image of God is not something that can be given or taken from us. It is not based upon our actions or our functionalities or um, any other category we want to put on it. And yet again, it's one of those things that's just so difficult to understand. But we know that regardless of those things, your value can't be taken from you. And 
I mean, this is something that everyone struggles with. Value and identity. Those are some of the like core difficulties within our own hearts. I mean, you just look at all the teenagers out there like that. Right. <laughs> They're in the thick of it, right? They're in the thick of understanding their identity. And, and even in that moment when I got that email from my boss and I remember the thoughts that went through my head was like, why am I threatened? This is crazy. Like I know who I am. I know what I'm capable of. But when you put the labels of you have value and importance because of the list of things you do, then that value and importance can be taken from you. Right. But when your value and importance uh, and dignity is given to you from God himself, simply because he gave it to you, there's no one who can take it. There's people who can disrespect it. Absolutely. Mm. There's people. Preach. Who, <laughs> well, there's people who can mistreat it and cannot see it. And you it. just say, I don't think you know who I am. <laughs> right. I am God's image. Uh, yeah. And, and walking around in that clarity, walking around in that, um, that understanding that, again, no one can give or take it. Uh, again, it can be can be disrespected and misused, but the no person in and of themselves can take that from you. And that is yet again, the goodness of God to his creation is that he says, I will make you in my image just because I chose to do that. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. No matter what you're going through, you are not alone. Sis, if you've experienced pain in your father-daughter relationship, I want you to know that you are loved and seen. I'm Kia Stevens, host of the Hope for Women with Father Wounds podcast, and I created my show to help you exchange your father wounds for the love of God the Father. Join me for encouragement, wisdom, and scripture. Just search Hope for Women with Father Wounds on lifeaudio.com or wherever you get your podcast.